Good morning. Uh, I'm Brian, and today we are going to continue in our series called Better. Uh, this message has been planned for a number of weeks, and today we're talking about resilience. Uh, about four years ago, my wife and I had our son in preschool. He was four years old at St. John's United Methodist Church down in Springfield, Virginia. And uh, he loved it, teaching the love of God and the character of God. Uh, except one day we started getting incident reports home. And it was like Eli got in a fight. And then the next day we got an incident report home, he was hit. The next day, literally, no lying, he was kicked. And the next day, another incident report, he was bitten today. And we're like, man, what in the world's going on? What are they teaching at this Christian school? This is more like fight club than it is church school. So we go in, meet with the principal and teacher, and we're wondering, okay, is he going to get kicked out? Like, is, is he done? Uh, and we find out that there's a boy in his class that has a troubled home. And every day, the, Eli would grab a toy and go over to the boy and, and say, hey, do you want to play? And he'd get hit. And the next day, he'd grab a toy and he'd go over to the boy and ask if he wants to play, and he'd get kicked. The next day, he'd grab a toy and get over. Well, you get the point. Eli didn't get the point. You get the point. Kid did not want to play. But every day, what struck me was Eli's tenacity and his resilience. Getting hit over and over again and then getting up better and not becoming bitter. Wanting to be a friend to him. It's an amazing picture of what resilience is. But life does not hit like a four-year-old, right? When life hits, it tends to knock you down, take the wind out of you. And so today, what we want to talk about is how we can have better resilience. Resilience has been adapted into psychology and theology over the past 30 to 50 years. It's kind of become a buzzword. And what that means is that the definition of resilience is constantly changing. Each one of us has a different expectation from this word. One definition that I came across this week was the positive adaptation or development in the context of risk. This is the idea that as we're going through challenges, things are going to be better on the other end. We're going to adapt and overcome. We're able to bear the load and come out better on the other side. Another more complex definition. It's the process of harnessing biological, psychosocial, structural, and cultural resources to to sustain well-being. What that's saying is in the midst of a challenge, we're able to draw on all the things around us, whether it's community or beliefs or mental strength, in order to come out healthy and whole on the other side. The things that hit us, I think, can kind of be boiled down into two, two big buckets. Big T and little T traumas. Big T traumas are those events, those moments in time that change everything. These are like 9-11. There was a time before and there's a time after. And every time after is a course of resilience. How are we going to become after this event? And then there's little T traumas. These are kind of the more mundane. They happen to us on a regular basis. Maybe it's something a coworker is saying over and over again, or your spouse is doing over and over again. And you kind of cram it down. And you keep bearing and moving on as if everything's okay, just hoping you've got enough for the next day. COVID kind of did this to us. Especially if you're a parent during COVID. It was like two years of cramming stuff down, just saying, okay, another day, another day, another day. And then what happens? There's a straw that breaks the camel's back, right? This is what you see when you're, you notice somebody that steps out of line with their character. 
They go out and they do something rash. They go out and buy that midlife crisis sports car or motorcycle or do those things that you're like, man, what in the world are they doing? Maybe they step out of their marriage and have an affair or they walk out on their family because they've been bearing a load and all of a sudden they can no longer do it. When our resilience runs out, our self-control runs out. We begin to make some dumb decisions. Now, there's literally thousands of books on resilience. It's not my job to rehearse those. You can Google resilience and find hundreds of coping techniques that are amazing, helpful. Counseling is also very helpful. We partner with an organization called Safe Harbor Christian Counseling. They can help with grief, trauma, resilience. What we want to do this morning is say, what is the unique biblical contribution that Jesus offers as we think about resilience and overcoming all of life's pain and trauma? So like any good pastor, I started out saying, okay, what is the Greek biblical word for resilience? You ready? Here it is. There isn't one. The New Testament disappointed me, so I said, okay, biblical Hebrew word. Let's get down to the brass tacks here. And it is not there either. Resilience does not appear in the Bible in terms of a word. What the Bible has done is use a whole series of words to talk about resilience. Synonyms like endurance, patience, long-suffering, being strong or courageous or remaining steadfast. So despite the word resilience not being in our Bible, what I discovered was that on almost every page, you get a picture of resilience. From Genesis to Revelation. Resilience shows up in the form of creation. It shows up with humanity. It shows up in Israel's history. It shows up in the early church. And then finally, what shocked me was it shows up in God's character. God himself is resilient. So here's where we land with today's passage. We're going to look at the book of Hebrews. Part of the reason why I wanted to look at the book of Hebrews is because this is a community that is suffering immense pain, trauma, difficulty. But it's also a book that has the word better in it more than any other book in the New Testament. The term better in the book of Hebrews appears 13 times. And it's a comparison word that basically says this is more useful. It's more advantageous. This will help you more. So we're going to look in the book of Hebrews and see how these two ideas, these ideas of better resilience factor in. Now, as we look at all these ideas of better in the book of Hebrews, they boil down into two categories. As a synopsis of the book of Hebrews, Jesus is better than what worked before. Secondly, what Jesus promises is better than what we previously expected. Now, if you've read the book of Hebrews, you may wade through all the words and be like, I have no clue what it's talking about. The book of Hebrews was written to a Jewish audience. And since it's written to a Jewish audience, it anticipates a lot of commonly understood terminology, analogies, metaphors. There's a lot of Israel's history in here. So it's talking about temples and priests and sacrifices and all these things. And to boil it down in those two categories of what's better, 
The author of Hebrews says, Jesus is better than everything that you've experienced before with the temple and with sacrifices. And what he offers is better than anything that the law could have given you. There's greater hope. There's a reason to hold on. I want to throw out a, I thought about having a picture, but I wasn't in the game enough to get it up here. It occurred to me last night. There's a great resource. Um, if you want to read the Bible and understand some of the cultural background, the NIV Cultural Background Study Bible, the NIV Cultural Background Study Bible. It's a great way, especially with a book like Hebrews that assumes so much shared knowledge to get some of that information as you read scripture. Um, it'll help richen kind of your understanding of who Jesus is. So let's get into Hebrews 10, verse 32. He says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you came to the understanding of who Jesus is, you endured hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. That sounds great, right? Why did they put up with all that? Because they knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Verse 35. Therefore, it says, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have a need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. The recipients of this letter had been beaten, ridiculed, robbed, and murdered. They were pressed down and persecuted. They were suffering And what does he say? He says, don't throw in your confidence. Don't throw it away. Don't throw in the towel yet. Don't succumb to the straw that breaks the camel's back. Rise above it. How? There's two parallel lines in these verses. Confidence leads to reward and endurance leads to promise. This vision of the end goal is powerful. When the book of Hebrews talks about reward and promise, it's talking about rest and restoration. Rest and restoration. This is the future goal of all those who follow Jesus is rest and restoration. Rest is this picture of the Garden of Eden almost, Genesis 1 and 2. It's living at peace with everything around you, those uh, next to you, and even living at peace within yourself. It's that point where everything is shalom, it's whole, it's complete, it's as it should be. And then restoration is the recognition that in this world, things are not the way they are supposed to be. There's sin, there's disease, there's death, there's injustice, there's pain. But the promise that is given is that at the end, there will be restoration and undoing of every injustice that has been done. This is the hope that Hebrews holds on to. So how? How do we begin to make steps towards rest and restoration in the midst of our pain and our struggle how do we make steps towards it hebrews 10 22 there's some phrases in here uh let us curse three times in these verses that we need to pay attention to because it's the author signaling to us this is the point that you need to lean in i've got a sermon or a message a word of encouragement or challenge that you need to pay attention to let us He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
And then let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Verse 22 says, let us draw near with a heart and full assurance of faith. Now this term draw near has a Hebraic background again. Draw near is the same word that would be used of the priests who would enter into the presence of God. They would draw near to God in the temple. Hebrews presents a better way of doing things. So the the priests in the Old Testament would draw near to God. They would enter into the holy presence of God in this temple. It was the place that God had agreed, I will meet with you. It's called the Holy of Holies. It's the closest sanctuary. It's kind of that place where heaven meets earth. But in order to enter that place, knowing that the priests were sinful, that they weren't perfect, that they weren't as they were supposed to be as they were created in Genesis 1 and 2, the priests would have to offer sacrifices, animal sacrifices, as a reminder that what they have done, the sin that they have committed, costs something. And so they would offer these sacrifices for the people, for themselves, to cover to acknowledge the sin, the disconnection between them and God. And then they would enter into the Holy of Holies. And even at that, they were only allowed to enter once a year. So we have a lot of prerequisites, a lot of laws and stipulations and regulations of how you can even enter. And then when you enter, you can only do it once a year. You can only enter into the Holy of Holies, that connection point with God once a year. And when you do that, you're walking in fingers crossed, hoping, man, I hope I made enough sacrifices Because if I didn't, and myself unclean, coming into the presence of a holy, clean God, I can't stand. It's like bleach and germs. You you introduce germs into bleach, and all of a sudden, there are no germs, right? So the priest would go in and say, man, I hope I've done enough to enter into the presence of a holy God. Because if not, things aren't going to go well for me. And what Hebrews comes out and says is that Jesus himself has entered in the Holy of Holies and made sacrifice. What does that mean? He offered his own life. He offered his own life. And his own life was a better sacrifice than all the animals. And because he offered his own life, poured out his own life, and then was raised to new life and resurrection, came back to life, he overcame death. We have access to God through him. So it says, draw near with full assurance. Full assurance is that focus that Jesus has done everything required of the law, required of us, and we have unlimited access to God. You, unlike the priests, the holy priests of Israel, have the ability to walk into God's presence anytime you want. And God's presence doesn't look at you and say, hey, what have you done this week? Should you be here? It doesn't look at you and say, hey, I know some of that stuff going on in the background. You don't belong here. God's presence, because of what Jesus has done, says, come on in. Draw near to me. You can enter into my presence. Here's what verse 22 is saying. Your acceptance enables resilience. Because you've been accepted, you can walk fully in resilience because you have access to God. As a staff, we've been praying for a young man named Ian. At 17 years old, he was rushed to the hospital uh, and diagnosed with Epstein-Barr virus. Uh, First two weeks in the ICU, uh, Tish, his mom, almost lost him. He would stay in the ICU for another three months. He would go to rehab for another five months. He is paralyzed from the chest down still. I had the opportunity to talk with his mom as I was thinking about this message 
Uh, like I said, we've been praying with him for two years, so I've heard his story. But I wanted to get her story firsthand. And I wish I could bring her here because her wisdom, her passion, her understanding of what she went through is amazing. Tish, Ian's mom, grew up in a Christian tradition, but hadn't really been practicing faith. She says, in this moment, she knew there was one thing and only one thing she could do. What is that? Pray. She could draw near to God. Something in her understanding of who Jesus is said, hey, no matter what I'm going through, how disconnected I've been, I can enter into the presence of God and I can pray. Prayer is the act by which we intentionally acknowledge and enter into the presence of God. Verse 22 says, do that with a sincere heart. Tish recounted that her prayer started with as basic as help us. And then got to that point of frustration and anger of like, God, where are you? Why are you doing this to us? She said she found herself with a lot of time sitting and waiting in Ian's hospital room. As she did that, and she uttered these small prayers, she became more aware of God. As she grew in confidence, her prayers deepened. These are her words. She said as she prayed, she would start to feel calm. She would feel the spirit of God rise up inside of her. It would focus her. It would help her make the necessary decisions that that moment required of her. When she felt alone, catch this, she had the most space for God. She says it was during these times that she was constantly receiving resilience. In her words, it was being poured into her. This is powerful. This was a game changer for me because science says, and we know that you can build up resilience by your community, by your mental health, by your physical health, all these things that we can do to build resilience. But if you've ever been in a time where you're just like, I've got nothing left to give. I can't build anymore. Life has beat me down so hard. You're faced with pain and grief and trauma that you say, I got nothing left to give, nothing left to do. It's at that moment that we need to understand that God himself can pour resilience into us. In the gospel of John, Jesus says, hey, I am going away, but I'm going to send you another, a comforter a counselor that will reside within you. I'm going to pour something into you that will give you resilience for the moments that you need. And you will overcome. Verse 23, second part. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Hold fast without wavering. These two words are powerful. Uh, reminds me of my son, Isaac, uh, He's four. He just turned four at the end of May. And about a week and a half ago, he started riding a pedal bike. It was pretty awesome. But we'd been spending a, a, a number of weeks trying to wear him down. Because he's athletic, he's skilled, he's balanced, he's focused. But he's like, nah, dad, I, don't, I, don't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And he had two objections. It's going to be hard and I'm going to fall. I mean, that's realistic, right? It's also like life. It's going to be hard and you're going to fall. In a moment of weakness, though, one day, I talked him into it. And he's like, all right, I'll try it. Kid got on the bike and off he went. I'm running, having to keep up with him. This is like two minutes into our first bike ride. No problems whatsoever. The only thing I had to do was keep reminding him to keep his eyes up. Look where you're going. Why? Because when you're focused with fear, you keep looking down at the pedals. He was worried that those pedals were going to be hard, that he won't be able to get it right. And what did he do? He kept looking down at the pedals. And if you, anybody bikes, if you're just staring down at the pedals, how's that going? 
you, you start losing your balance, you start wavering. You can be holding on tight for dear life, but if you're looking at the problem, you're wavering. You're struggling, and I had to keep telling them, lift your eyes up. And that's what Hebrews 10 is telling us. It says, hold on to the confession of your hope. That confession of your hope is important. It's not enough just to hold on. We got to have hope. What does it mean by confession? A confession are those things that we think, the things that we take into ourselves and the things that we speak. Psychologists have long said this, that the things that we think and the things that we speak create a meta-narrative. It is the lens by which we understand ourselves and what's happening to us. And if that confession is off, then our whole life is off. Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Jesus says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. We need to be conscious of our confession, what we're thinking and what we're speaking. When we have our eyes up and fixed on our confession of hope, it transforms how we understand our problem. This is what verse 23 is saying. Your confession directs resilience. It gives it a direction. If you want to be resilient but aren't actively studying the Bible and drawing near to God, when trials and faith come, it's going to be as if you're looking down at the pedals. When pain comes, you're going to be looking down at the pedals. And you're going to start to waver. You're going to lose your balance. But if you're fixed on your source of hope and you're clear about who that hope is, you can be resilient. That's why we're so focused on the daily app and reading scripture and praying in that because it's a touch point with who God is. All of scripture points to this idea of who Jesus is and what he promises. And this confession is important because he who promised it is faithful to bring it about. Rest and restoration. As a teenager in an alcoholic home, when I grew up, I, was, I am confident the only reason why I survived those years is because when I was faced with pain, anger, bitterness, isolation, I had two resources, prayer, drawing near to God, and scripture, my confession of hope. Because it's in scripture that I learned and discovered that the way this world is is not the way it should be. It was never meant to operate this way. My relationships weren't meant to operate this way because sin, disconnection from God and disconnection from others had entered. And I learned in those scriptures that by following Jesus, I was actually not set for like the easiest path in life, but actually that I would have troubles and persecutions. And there's this glorious moment in scripture in John 16, 33, where Jesus is telling all of his followers of all the stuff, all the problems that they're going to have in this life. And he says, I tell you all this so that in me, you may have peace in this world. You will have troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world because it's not enough just to see the troubles. It's not enough just to see the petals. We have to fix our eyes on the hope that there is rest and restoration ahead, that Jesus has overcome, that he's a better mediator, better overcomer than all the other things we've tried. There is a future hope of ahead of us. Finally, verse 24. It says, and let us consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works. Studies have long shown that serving, loving, is an amazing way to overcome or work through trauma and pain and grief. 
love and good deeds are part and parcel of who Jesus is because he realizes that it's in our ability to focus on others that we actually find healing. In periods of, of grief and pain and death, communities that come together and hug and connect, make eye contact, pour love into one another, build resilience in a powerful way. It's actually when we do this that we get a glimpse of rest and restoration right here on earth. As we spread love and good deeds, it's as if the kingdom of God comes down and we get a glimpse of it right here and now. And it becomes a foretaste of that future day when Jesus comes and he restores all things. And there'll be no more death, no more crying, no more pain. Verse 24 says, your love spreads resilience. Because you can draw near to God, because you have hope in Jesus' faithfulness, and because you see it lived out in love and good deeds, verse 35 reminds us, do not throw away your confidence. It has great reward. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. If you want to experience rest and restoration, this understanding of resilience You have to fix your eyes on who Jesus is and what he promises. If you want a resilient life, you need a resilient faith. These are the things that will help us weather the storms, the pain, the loss, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and not just staring down at the petals. Are you drawing near to God? Are you doing the things that strengthen your confession and who Jesus is and what he has promised? And are you sharing that love with others? What are you doing to build your confession of hope? Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning drawing near as you tell us to do with confidence and assurance of faith. That God, you have accepted us. That you are here with us. Father, we declare in this moment that there is hope ahead of us, that you have made a promise to us that there will be rest and restoration. And we pray now in this moment that we would get glimpses of that here. Lord, for all the stuff we're going through, the loss that we're experiencing, the grief, the pain, the traumas that we experience on an everyday basis, we ask that your rest and restoration would begin to shine through, that it would be our source of hope. Father, we turn these things over to you and we ask that you would open our eyes to who you are, that they might be firmly fixed on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Scripture reading, prayer, and singing have been used to build resilience in the Christian community for thousands of years. In a moment, we're gonna sing a song. It's called Graves to Gardens. I want you to focus on the words of the song. Pay special attention to them because